0: According to data from the National Association of Realtors, in 2021, 41% of home buyers and sellers found their real estate agent through a friend, neighbor, or relative. If those same 41% of people found their real estate agent through climate change realty, we could have donated more than $12 billion to nonprofit organizations working on fighting climate change. Welcome to the podcast. Doug, great to have you on the show, man. Good to see you again. Thanks for joining me.
1: Ethan, thanks for the invite. Always a treat to talk about climate adaptation. Thanks again for the invite.
0: Hey, you're very welcome, man. And you know, before we do that, we always love to get the podcast started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing
1: what you're doing at the current moment. All right. Well, I am the host of the America Dapps podcast, and it's sort of a, a long journey, and I won't, you know, dwell on it too much. But I, I, my background is in environmental policy, and I. Actually, I have a master's in ecology for the University of Georgia. And so I was doing conservation work in just various groups. Um, Georgia Conservancy, I did that for a bit, but then moved to Australia for a few years. And that's really if kind of the background of how I got into the adaptation space is that Australia, this was in the early aughts, was doing some really cool things around it. The United States really hadn't had been doing anything. And so I got, I was there for three and a half years and that was really cool. It gave me some excellent background. And I came back stateside, worked in the state of Florida doing The first climate change work in the state there, their first climate change coordinator that they ever had at the statewide level before politics made it kind of impossible to even talk about climate change. And I moved on to the National Park Service and in their climate change response program. And I I did that for a bit, but I wasn't a very good federal employee. It was just the hierarchy and the sort of. Oh, I could it's just too much. I mean, this is during the Obama years, too. This was a friendly administration. I can't even imagine working during the the Trump years just because, you know, from a policy side and then uh, took another conservation position and funding ran out. And so I was going to start a podcast there. But then as the funding ran out, as I was looking for work, I started the podcast anyway, because I know a lot of people in the adaptation space. I'm like, I got a good Rolodex. And uh, that shows you I can date myself. I can say Rolodex, um, <laughs> h- how old I am. Got to get that... Rolodex. <laughs> well, you know, I, the, I had one of those the... things. Um, right. <laughs> and did the podcast was doing it every week, having some great guests and I was getting really good at it. Still, I was looking for work. And then finally, I'm like, you know what? If I could start making a little bit of money and my wife kind of challenged me, if you can earn X amount, which wasn't even that much, it was more like, can you earn anything from the podcast? And I did. I kind of blew through that, and I started. I transitioned into became becoming a small five hundred one c three. So I am a nonprofit, and I just started hearing from my listeners. Like there are people out here listening to this, and so made a run for it. I think I'm going on six years now doing the podcast, and it's yeah. I don't know if we can talk about that a little bit, but it's just, it's taken me all Definitely. over the world. It's really been a great journey.
0: Well, that's awesome. How long did it take you before you were able to like start making money from the podcast?
1: Oh. So- I don't know six, seven, eight months. I started, wow. I think, mid-year, and then it, listen. Don't go into podcasting if you, unless you're like Joe Rogan or something, where I think he's a two hundred million dollar deal, which is nuts. But um, yeah, it, it, it's 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 about making money, but it's more about like what sort of model can you create where you. You can sort of justify getting sponsored or donations. or those kinds. So that worked for me. I was dealing with a topic that people like support. They want to do. So if I was just talking about my favorite movies, it would be a little bit harder unless you had like a giant audience. As you're a podcaster, you kind of know the space. It's just it. But you never know. That's what's kind of crazy about podcasting. People that listen, that kind of come out of the woodwork, you can't anticipate what's going to happen, which is actually an exciting thing about being a podcaster.
0: Totally. Well, well Joe, Joe just said the other day on the show that it took him four to five years of, of losing money before he even started making money. So just, just, something, just something to be aware of. Um, something you said, all the best origin stories start in Australia, man. Um, what, what happened there that got you so keyed into this issue?
1: Well, I was working for a small nonprofit there that did natural resource management. So they do environmental issues a little bit differently there. And so climate change was just coming up. Australia, you know, it's a land of extremes. And they were talking about climate change for a while. But I I was actually working with a lot of agricultural groups, which in itself was really interesting. We put on the very first agricultural climate change conference that i think the state of queensland had ever done and i was there coordinating with an ag person which in the united states it's our farm bureaus which they're just not very progressive around these issues even today you're probably not seeing too many of them thinking about climate change and so doing that finding speakers and i I like to tell the story of like how climate change really became a serious issue for me even though i was working in the environmental space before that i saw a presentation from a, a climate scientist in queensland which is a big state there and he gave it and it was just really sobering and i'm just like i kind of heard stuff like this before but it all came together and i went up to him afterwards and we were just chatting and i'm like that was pretty sobering stuff and he kind of looked at me he's just like that was the happy version and he was dead serious this older guy scientist and i'm like what, what do you mean and he's just like and he wasn't trying to be alarmist he could have done that in his presentation he was a scientist but he was just sort of being matter of fact he's like he's like said there's a growing number of climate scientists who think humanity will be living in small pockets near the poles by the end of the century. And, you know, scientists always get criticized, but they're so measured. And that's why they're, in some ways, terrible spokespeople, because they have to qualify everything that they do. And they need people like me maybe to be a a little bit more aggressive in the things that they say. And so I'm just like living at poles near the... he's holding that information back and he's saying the climate scientists when they're having drinks at conferences off the record, they're just like, it doesn't look good. So, I mean, this is serious business. And, you know, if you, if you listen to my podcast, I'm pretty sober. I, I don't dwell into sort of the, those kind of topics. We're talking about actions that you can take. And I think there's a certain tone that you hear about, you know, that's, the sky is falling a hair on fire and that's just going to exhaust people. I don't like seeing that. So I recognize it's that urgent. It's that serious, but messaging we're in this for the long haul. And so, yeah, Certainly. Um, that's how Australia really kind of trained me into this topic. And it just, I came back to the United States and it's just off and running.
0: Thank you for doing that, man. I really appreciate it. What did you think about what he said about living the pockets of people living in the polls then compared to what you think of
1: it now? Well, I think he, he he's right. It's like it's almost like it's a tragic drama, um, you know, playing out. And every three to five years, we just see it. well, this, you know, the Arctic ice is all the predictions, and it's just like it's it's the pieces are kind of coming into place of like what they're predicting, and so it's kind of horrifying. But at the same time, I'm a natural optimist too. Like some people, I w- when I was in Australia, I was invited to speak there for the podcast, it was really cool to kind of come back and, and a, a woman in the audience asked me, she's like, how do you get up in the morning? And, you know, you, it must be so depressing. And I'm just like, I guess I'm shallow, you know, it's just like, because <laughs> like, Hey, what's going to happen today? Oh, I'm going to go have drinks with my friends. And it's just like, I, some people just it, the burden of climate change is just crushing them. They should get out of the space. I honestly, I think that they have legitimate mental health issues, but it's just like, it, it's, right. it's not an area to like, like dwell in because it is Always there, and so I'm, I'm. I'm always optimistic anyway. So it helps me, I think, maintain what I do.
0: All right. So when it comes to the idea of adaptation broadly, what does it mean to you?
1: All right. And so uh, there is a technical definition. The IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change, that people have probably heard before, and the National Climate Assessment, which is the uh, the United States version of that. There's a technical definition. I'm not going to say that because that's boring. It's basically how are we going to adapt to the impacts of climate change? And so wildfire, sea level rise, um, drought, these are all things that are going to probably get worse. Well, they are going to get worse. How do we adapt to those things? And so that's, to me, the what adaptation really means of course, adapt can be used in any other context, but in the climate space, it's that. And it's a, I want to make clear it's its own discipline. Sometimes people confuse it with sustainability or like the mitigations, all the carbon emission stuff you hear. Adaptation is a separate field. And I use my podcast to try to nurture that field. I'm saying it is. It's a field, even though there's no like someone who's sort of saying, yes, officially it is. So.
0: And how much do you know about the the human history of adaptation? Because the climate has been changing for for eons. And, and I'm talking on like broadly, like tens of thousands of years of humans. Because I feel like humans are like the most adaptable species that's ever existed. What, what, what do you have to say about that?
1: Well, actually, our climate has been relatively stable. I, I'm, I'm going to just throw out some numbers here. I want to say the last five, 10,000 years, like very stable. And if you look at the carbon levels, that's how agricultural kind of came up because there was a stability. And so you see a little bit of a roller coaster, but compared to extremes where you go back 100,000 years where there are ice ages and millions of years, we have actually kind of evolved, you know, culturally in our society in a very stable climate. That's what's making everyone nervous. It's like all of a sudden this roller coaster, instead of like this with the climate, it's going to be, up and down and so that that's what's making the scientists very nervous we've actually that's probably why we're as advanced as we are because the climate has been relatively stable for a while and so yeah you gotta temperature swings are in five degrees celsius you know in in certain years that's that's not the climate over time so we've been fortunate and that's why we need to be nervous
0: well, I just meant that when the world is always changing and humans are always adapting, I, I I guess on a smaller like scale that people can understand, I think of like the adoption of like cell phones or computers. Technological innovations come very quickly, and then the whole society changes in waves and can and starts stops doing something one way and starts doing something another way. I just I thought I could kind of relate that to perhaps a changing oh. climate.
1: No, I and I agree, and so I don't want to give the impression that we won't adapt to it It, it, that's when you kind of get into the the messy details like richer countries are going to adapt much better because we'll have the resources of like oh we're going to put up sea walls and we're going to do things that you know all right well we're going to be able to get water resources because there's drought here in ways that we couldn't have done even 100 years ago that i mean we're going to be able to do that um it's just the unpredictable things around climate change like what's not talked about much is ocean acidification. The oceans are becoming more acidic. So if you have a collapse of ocean ecosystems, then that's when you start getting to areas that even the most adaptable cultures are going to have trouble with. But I, I, I agree. I think we will adapt and like, you know, the France had, uh, a serious heat wave back in the mid aughts and you know how did they adapt they just brought in a lot more air conditioners that is a way of adapting to that things but then you make the energy issue worse because you're using more electricity but we will it's just the the unknown things like will some areas become unlivable because it's too hot literally you know in the middle east um i have a lot of faith that just you know humans want stable Stability is as, as much as sometimes we see chaos. And most of us we're like we want to be able to just have a stable society. And I think if we get involved with adaptation now and we get carbon under control, I'm, I'm I'm fairly confident that okay, it's going to be a rough roller coaster ride. But I, I'm yeah, you're absolutely right. We're at a stage now where we know so much that we can adapt. That's what I'm in the business of. I'm encouraging right. people who talk about adaptation to say what are our options going forward.
0: Right. But you make a good point in the sense that we probably can not adapt to having no soil and nowhere to grow food and all the plants being dead because you can't adapt. You can only adapt so far. You can't adapt to uh, being what's well, like a filter feeding organism or we, we can't just make an adaptation where we start um, photosynthesizing. That's probably not going right, to work. Right. And the, uh, the ocean acidification thing is, is a huge problem. And it's a scary thing in the sense that all life on Earth originated in the ocean and if we are making that place uninhabitable, that's just horrible because that's where all life comes from. It's just if that place becomes a barren wasteland, what makes you think that the land is going to continue to, to prosper and thrive? So something that's uh, very concerning. And then when you talk about Australia, of course, you know I, I became familiar with that concept by going and seeing the uh, the Great Barrier Reef, previously great, now white and barren. Um, it's a real thing. That's probably where the seed was probably planted in my mind on the climate change stuff. Hmm. So, so what exactly is um is your mission with America Adapts Media, and what are you doing beyond just the podcasts?
1: Well, my mission is just to educate people around the issue of adaptation. Adaptation is this emerging issue, even though it kind of goes back early odds. I still argue that we are still in the early days of it. So, what is it? And it's it's you know I. I say that adapting to climate change will be the greatest challenge humanity has ever faced, and I say that in the context of knowing a little bit of history and wars and all that. Again, there are some big issues coming in the pipeline, and so I, that's my mission and part. A lot of my listeners are actually in the climate and adaptation space, and so it's not just a you know there are people in the general public that obviously listen, but it's not for the faint of heart. You know, I have you know some pretty wonky conversations and uh, people who are trying to keep up with the latest and adaptation are kind of getting into it. They, they've told me they use my podcasts because there you can't get degrees right now. There's, you can't really get masters and not undergraduate degrees in adaptation. People are kind of generalists, environmental works sort of like my background. And so it's my mission. And then the podcast, I spend a lot of time on that. And then I, I work with people to tell stories and you know, I've worked with world wildlife fund. I work with universities like Harvard and UCLA, and they'll sponsor me to kind of focus on particular subjects and that's you know that that's my day job, but what's been kind of great that's kind of come out of it, and I'm sure you'll probably see this too. Maybe real estate if you're already getting invited, but you know, lots of people reach out asking my advice, or I'll go do speaking gigs, or I, I lecture university classes because they found me, and that's been a real bonus. I didn't anticipate a lot of that, but you become sort of a persona within that space, and since no one was doing the adaptation space for a podcast. I got a, I was ahead of the game for a lot of people. So it, yeah, that's, it's an exciting area and it will continue to be exciting um, for, for decades, so.
0: Definitely, so speaking of exciting, what what is the latest in adaptations right now, March 25th, 2022, what comes to mind?
1: Latest in adaptations, you mean? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I guess what I've been spending a lot of time on is that since, you know, l- listen, I am not here to bash Donald Trump, but they just Bash Trump as much as you want, man, no <laughs> I, worries. I, listen, it's just more of a factual kind of claim. He just he didn't take climate change seriously. The people that he brought into his administration didn't take it seriously. And so there was a, just a four year block of like the government not being very serious. But with Biden in it, taking it very seriously. And I see that reflecting in, in my podcast. And so I've done quite a few like, OK, what is Biden doing on adaptation? And all the federal agencies had to come up with their own adaptation action plans. And I did a deep dive with Jesse Keenan. He's a professor at Tulane on those episodes. And so that's probably the latest thing is that the policy-wise, there's a lot more action going on on cloud adaptation. And I'm out there to sort of share that to people out in the field saying, hey, look what's happening, how this is relevant to you. So that's very exciting. And I hear more government people who listen to my podcast. And I've even had a couple come on. Normally, I don't like having government people come on I mean, they have all this great knowledge, but a lot of times they can't talk. Their communication people say, don't say this, this, or this. And it's like, ah, you come on my podcast. I want to ask any question I want. And I mean, totally. it's a safe space, but it's, I'm not doing gotcha questions on my, but it's at the same time. I'm like, I don't want any constraints. I just don't. So I just, my next episode coming out is the, she's a researcher um, for the Federal Reserve Bank. And so that's kind of nice huh. that those guys who are kind of famously, you know, shy they're comfortable coming on the podcast and i've had them once before so
0: when it comes to achieving effective climate action or or adaptation what are your thoughts on um policy versus economic actions like which one do you think has a, a a larger impact or has more potential to to really fix the fix the problem or at least help Give me an example of economic. What do you mean by that? Would mean like a, a creative business model, like a direct air capture company coming into existence, versus a a government making a mandate that that you need to stop purchasing gas powered vehicles.
1: I would say that it's a combination of both. I, I you know, the private sector is going to be leading a lot of this, but you know, you you're familiar with like a cap and trade and stuff, and yep. people don't realize with acid rain back in the early '90s, the government did a cap and trade, but then they said to the private sector, okay, This is these are your constraints now, but we're not gonna tell you how to get there. And it was wildly successful. And they were this close to passing a climate change cap and trade for carbon back in the early Obama years. And I can't argue that, oh, it would have solved all our problems, but I think it would have started providing a lot more financial and private sector structure to dealing with carbon. Like I'm a big fan of a carbon tax. I think we should do it all, yeah. cap and trade, yes. carbon tax just whatever we can to get people thinking and as carbon as a pollution. And so I, I'm a proponent of both approaches. I think I'm very regulatory oriented. I'm sorry. That's okay. Look at recycling. Like people, even in States that mandated, like you're lucky to get 40, 50% recycling because most of it's a volunteer model. We can't do that. It's gotta be mandated. And that's not, you know, people feel very, opposed to that view. So,
0: yeah, well, this reminds me of of in my youth when I was um, watching videos about marijuana and seeing it still being federally illegal and it not making sense to me and so many people wanting it to be legal, but it still is not. Do you think we're ever going to get like a price on carbon? You think that's something that could that will actually happen? I mean, I, my favorite nonprofit is Citizens Climate Lobby because they take a nonpartisan approach and specifically focus on carbon fee and dividend. I mean, it seems like the you said it's not going to solve everything, but it's the bare baseline to actually start tackling this issue is to price this untaxed externality that's destroying life on our planet. I just I don't know what what are your thoughts on on that?
1: I'm well, with there are you. some models i think there's the northeast regional i forget what it's called rggci or something and so there is pricing of carbon it just doesn't have a lot of teeth and i think just look to europe you know they've been doing it for a while and carbon taxes and all that and um there's precedent for doing it it's just we need a national level thing that we can plug into like the paris climate agreement it's just um there's so much opposition to that that, that's the problem here. You look at citizens, they, they do some great work, but there's other groups, NRDC, Environmental mm-hmm. Defense Fund, they've been thinking about these things, carbon taxes. Here it is, here are the tools. It's just, it's the political sort of will to do it. And just, you know, we have one political party that literally is just doesn't take it seriously. They don't believe it yet, which is just horrifying. And so you can't get these things done. So it, all the pieces are in place. There, it's like you almost have like okay, you've got a secret weapon in the in the garage. And why why don't I ever take it out? And it's just like, it's there. The tools are all there. it it's, it's so, um, uh, it it's very frustrating. A cap and trade should have been put in place. Oh, uh, you know, and not to get too much of a history lesson, but I'm a, the whole ozone issue. For you, you're younger yes. than me. Do you remember what uh, president signed that into? I'm, in I'm to- aware. It's pretty amazing. Re- Reagan, of all people. And so the scientists came out, they didn't allow opposition to build too much. And they're like, we've got to do this, or this will be really bad. And it, the world came together relatively quickly. And it's just like, that's how rational civilization would act in these situations. It's like, look, this could be really bad. But too many, I guess the fossil fuel industry was just much different than the sort of CFC industry, much bigger. So
0: well, I might be mistaken. I don't think I am. Teddy Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt, Republican, created the national park system. I mean, isn't am, am I correct on that? Do you know? I'm pretty yeah, sure it's Teddy. The, it's not the Lincoln. national forest
1: system for sure. And I think the park system maybe came a little bit forward. But no, you're right. Teddy Roosevelt did that.
0: Yeah, but- I don't believe that these uh, at all the Republicans like don't believe in climate change. I'm just, I don't think it's true. I think I just don't want to go against other issues. And I understand that because I, I happen to be passionate about issues that the left believe and passionate about issues that the right believe. And if you have to pick a side, people will pick a side. But I'm obviously the, cl- I lead with the climate issue. As I'm having this conversation with you about carbon pricing and I'm relating it to the, we still don't have, we still have a federal prohibition on marijuana in the country. Yet more and more states every single day are adopting local policies that's making it legal and it's, and then once you do had states like Washington and Colorado start raking in um, millions and millions of dollars in tax revenue so certainly all these other states are like oh maybe we should have legal weed so i'm thinking like what if we could if we could create some sort of economic incentive, like some sort of economic benefit for price and carbon, like creating new industries that provide new jobs and having a price on carbon in the state level. That's just something I came up with now that I think would be kind of cool. Just trying to whatever we can do to get the price, man, you know?
1: Well, and California has a, a their climate law that there's a, a I don't think it's a full on rebate, but they direct the money to some adaptation work, which I love that they're using carbon to fund that. But some of the most basic carbon tax in Listen, this is not the area I cover in my podcast at all. I, obviously, I know a bit more than your average citizen, but um, that just any carbon tax, you refund to citizens directly. You make $100 billion, $100 billion goes back as rebates to the American public. That's popular because it's just like, all right, you're just you're net zero when it comes to like people's financial burden. And that's fine, too. But I'd love to see a bunch of money directed toward. You know, healthcare and environmental policy. You're raising money on this awful pollutant. Let's use it for good. But whatever form they take just to make drive down, I mean, not drive down, but just to drive down the use of carbon, I'd support. So,
0: yeah. Well, if I'm not mistaken, Washington State and Colorado in 2014 voted on a ballot initiative to legalize marijuana. If we had a ballot initiative to create a carbon tax, I wonder how popular that would be. Might not be as popular because
1: people really love getting, getting stoned, but um, one thing or the other. Arizona, we made recreational, I think two, two years ago. So yeah, we went down that path.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the ballot initiative is actually giving people a chance to vote on their future. Um, So beyond that, what are some of the key adaptation focal points that we can focus on here in the States, either as individuals, but also as a nation broadly?
1: Well, as a nation broadly, what we're seeing with the federal government, even thinking about the right way, that's good. But a lot of our adaptation in this country is just, it's disaster response. And so in your neck of the woods, you had the big fire, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the Marshall fire. And so- it, it's hard to be proactive on adaptation but if local disasters help drive some of that thinking then that's good and so i'm actually going to be doing an episode of, in colorado and i've been learning a bit more but the 2013 floods which people in colorado know all about this epic flood, it actually led to the creation of the kind of office of resilience and adaptation it, it's sort of a, you can a direct line from that so that's good some of those things are are driving adaptation responses and states are thinking like that and and the federal government a lot of times is just there to provide money fema provides a lot of planning money and grant money but it's it's hodgepodge so many local governments because they say all you know adaptations local whereas carbon is more it's like the world but adaptation is local i got flooded just right down there and so that's good and it's bad it's good and it makes people more vested in what it's all about this is affecting you flood sea level rise but it, it makes such a scattered approach too. There are not a lot of standards. But um, slowly but surely, you're seeing some states. When I was in Florida before the, it, you know, the, the new governor came and stopped everything. They were really thinking about adaptation, and they are even this current governor. I think he's very controversial, DeSantis, but he's been very supportive. I think of resilience and adaptation planning because I don't think he doesn't talk about it in the context of climate change. It's more like hurricanes and all the flooding and that. If they need to do that, I guess that's okay. But um, Right now, it's still too chaotic, but it's it's likely going to be like that for a while because there isn't a universal thinking around adaptation. In one of my recent episodes, I talked to a Senate staffer who wrote the legislation, and it hasn't passed yet. But legislating a national adaptation plan that would be a good first step for what you're talking about. All these other people like point to that, saying, "Look, there is an overall umbrella to what we should be thinking about and doing here," and so. I don't know if that's going to pass. I, I use my podcast to kind of promote it. Um, and uh, there is bipartisan support for it and it would create a chief resilience officer. So that'd be kind of cool too, that someone appointed who'd be embedded within the white house would be advocating around these issues. So that's, what's kind of going on there.
0: Well, what would a plan like that actually look like? Is it creating projects? Is it mandating people to do one thing or the other? Is um, like how, what, what would yeah. be in that plan? It,
1: it won't have any mandates uh, that no, it's not going to be a regulatory tool, but it, what it would do is to create that position. But then that person would be responsible for creating a, and this is how government works. It's how I, when I worked on national park service, but you just create working groups. And so they would recruit people, you know, infrastructure, people, they'd state local government people that would sit on this panel and they would create a national adaptation plan over a period, of a couple of years. And then they'd modify that. And so they just get feedback on what you kind of really need. And it'd be sort of a a great communication tool um, and would give a framework for other people to start thinking about climate adaptation. But it wouldn't have any teeth. And it would hopefully at least direct some of the federal agencies like, well, look, they're talking about climate justice, climate equity. Maybe we should focus a bit more money in that area if a national adaptation plan was I, it, a lot of it's going to depend on the chief resilience officer how effective are they how you know can they get the president caring forget biden which is talking about future presidents caring about this issue but you know it the budget for it cuz it's not going to be given grants it's like 2 or 3 million dollars it's just there to establish a basic framework 2 3 million that's nothing that's nothing that's yeah. not, but if but if they get the defense department to really start thinking about and th- they are the defense department is actually doing some really good stuff but being more cohesive in our approach, then that's a good thing. I'd support it. That's why I have them on the podcast. Having a national adaptation plan would be a great tool. If anything, just communicating to the public, adaptation is important. This is If you were to go down to any store and walked around, what is climate adaptation? Well, 98 out of 100 people would be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And it's going, like I said, to be the biggest thing that America will have face in the next hundred years. I mean, we're talking Florida flooding by six feet of sea level rise and just droughts and it's, no one knows anything about it. So.
0: Two or $3 million. I don't think that's even enough money to build a seawall in Florida
1: or uh, Virginia (laughs) beach. It's it's not, yeah, it's not meant to do any, it's not being a grant make. It's there two, 3 million. is like, all right, hold some meetings, get the right people on board, get representatives from fema there and get representatives from you know department of transportation who fund and, and they're doing that's the that's the difference in a Biden administration i think uh i always forget how to pronounce his name but secretary buddha chag buddha thank you he's i think uh, you know he gets this stuff and so that's what's kind of exciting the agencies actually with some deep pockets like the epa these are all poor agencies they get knocked around a lot but it's just like Quietly, uh, Department of Transportation just gives out a ton of money. So if they can bake into place policies that say we want you to factor in climate change when you're building that road or you're just renovating things or doing a seawall, then that's real progress. So,
0: all right. Well, if I gave Doug a, tr- a trillion dollars and said climate proof America,
1: where would you start? Climate proof. Um, An attempt. Right. I, I, you know, it's, it's boring. It's not sexy, but first off, I just started uh, just working with local governments on planning for this, getting them thinking about it, cool. you know, where it gets controversial. It's like, okay, build a seawall around Florida. I'm like, no, I'm from Florida. I'm a native Floridian, but um, Miami's going under. and I don't want to waste money protecting it. So I'm not going to use a trillion dollars there, uh, but maybe helping people with managed retreat. I've heard of that concept. It's uh-huh. like, In a structured way, try to encourage people to live away from, and some people would say, live away from the Southwest. You shouldn't be in Tucson. And so how do we kind of come up with policies to slowly but surely encourage people um, to to not live in certain at-risk areas? I would spend money there. and But, you know, uh, I'd have a massive communication plan, too. A trillion bucks actually, you know, will disappear quite quickly. It sounds like a big number, but, you know, we can spend that, like... five years in some areas. And so, yeah, but there's something called maladaptation, which I had mentioned. Like, let's say a coastal community builds a seawall. You're like, this is gonna protect us, look at us. But like that water, that's sea level rise or just flooding still has to go somewhere. And so let's say there's a natural wetland or ecosystem just north of the city or just south, then that water starts to spread. And then all of a sudden you degrade it. That's called maladaptation doing something that you think is adaptation, but what are the consequences? And we actually are gonna have to spend a lot of time um, thinking we we are gonna do maladaptation because you're gonna, protecting more people's lives in certain areas obviously is more important, but that's a maladaptation maybe for a natural system. And over the next hundred years, we'll be making those decisions all the time. We'll be weighing, there's no, very rarely is it just like this perfect black and white adaptation that won't have any negative outcomes on the other side, even though you're, you know, think about, oh, well, let's climate proof the Southwest and build another dam and you can't really build too many more dams and we'll get the water and look, it's all, you know, well, that water is now not flowing and it's impacting natural systems downstream and even upstream. And so that's a maladaptation, but it was a good adaptation for that city that needs regular water supplies. So,
0: Well, what I love about your answer is I ask, I say, All right, you got a trillion dollars. And the first thing you don't say, Let's build this, let's build that. You say, Let's build community. Let's use money to help people relocate in areas that are going to be heavily impacted. I just, I love that that's where your head jumped to. I just like that a lot. Um, is there any way that that adapting to climate change can actually help to mitigate it? Um, I, I, what stands out in my mind is you mentioned this issue with the heat wave in France. And so they got air conditioners, which is just going to make issues even worse. So I'm wondering if there's ways that, that adaptation can actually help improve our situation.
1: Yeah, there, and there's technical terms and um, co-benefit is a, is a term you sometimes hear. It's like, yes. okay, we're going to help a city adapt to rising Temperatures by planting trees, urban forests are actually a good way to mitigate, mitigate um, higher temperatures. And what what do trees do? They capture carbon. Or we're going to replant certain areas because we want habitat for species that are going to be impacted by climate change. You're going to build large forests. That's a co-benefit. That's a, one way that you can kind of work together. Um, it's just uh, you have to be honest, though. That's great, but it, it's it's a drop in the bup- bucket. It's not really like and some of the forestry people probably smack me if they hear this, but you know, I'm all about planting trees for any number of reasons, but it's, it's not the solution to the, the carbon issue. And it, it's one part, one little tiny piece a bit, and let's plant more trees to sequester carbon. But it's, it's that when you hear people argue like, well, if we just planted more trees, we could take it out of the app. That's drop in the bucket. It's not going to be a solution. And so, um, the co-benefit topic, um, yes, it can help itself, but the carbon issue is a much bigger discussion. And so at the very micro level, yes, you can come up with case studies for that, but it's it's not a big part of the solution. I guess that's my takeaway from it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to draw down carbon with with many co-benefits. I My mind goes to, to soil first, I think, because... It's kind of the foundation of, of all life. And it, I don't think there's a limit to how much healthy soil we can create, which will then lead to more life and which will use the carbon that we've benefited from can then be t- returned and re-whatever re, transformed back into more life. So I think that that's great. And then the whole planet has soil. I guess the whole planet could have trees as well, but it um, seems like soil is more surface area.
1: I I'm all with you on, on soil, but the problem with soil is that if you have good soil, what's likely to happen, especially in the years ahead, is people are going to be like, well, now let's plant some crops in that soil. And anytime you turn over the soil, the benefit to that carbon seque and soils hold a ton of carbon that you lose it. And so, like the, the notion of like large areas of just sequestering carbon in the soil, it's just I just, I'm trying to think where would we do that at the moment, you know, cause it's just, we'll use that good soil. Right. I and then mean, we will, once you start planting crops again, you've, you've just lost that carbon because it, there's actually a lot of studies going on now, just like soil turnover is a contributor to the carbon thing. You've got to let it totally. sit there. You, you got to let it build up and it's, we need giant swaths of that to happen. So, and I'm with you, but I, huh. I think of the landscape with the do it. So, and it takes a while to get that soil ecology there, and that's um, it goes back to my U- University of Georgia days. A lot of um, forestry work and a lot of soil work going on there. But they have all these pine plantations, and you know they're like a net contributor to climate change because they they last ten to twelve years. They'll turn over the t- trees and stuff. You're like, oh, they're planting these trees and sequestering, but when they cut them and the, they move the soil, it, it just It's like, all right, your carbon, (laughs) it's either, you know, net zero or you're actually contributing to it. So it gets complex quickly. So, and all that tundra, we have the tundra, we're talking, yeah, but carbon and all that, but
0: anyway. Tundra, are you talking about like peat, peat, peat bog forests and stuff? Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's going to be like, they, they're worried that that is sequestered carbon in some, you know, that's type of soil. I, that's not technically probably correct, but it's just like now they're, that's leaking, right? It's, it's leaking and ways that make, yeah. That's making a lot of people nervous. And so.
0: Yeah. Especially when they go up in flames and then exacerbate the process by like <laughs> years in like a whole summer. But, um, yeah. What are your thoughts on the the COP COP goals of 1.5C, two degree warming targets and timelines? How do you feel about um, countdown clocks? And do you think we can actually
1: uh, hit these goals? Countdown clocks, I think, are worthless. But um, you're asking <laughs> me a lot of carbon questions. And so you're getting somewhat sophisticated answers. But again, th- the, I, I defer to people that really know this space, but from my understanding of 1.5 or two, it's good. You need metrics. You need to put something that you're going to be held against. That's all very important for any topic that that's good. It sounds like we're going to blow through the 1.5 I think so. and you know, it, it's just, I, it's all about messaging. I, I am now a communicator and that's what I, I focus on. And when you show the general public 1.5 degrees Celsius, it means nothing means nothing to well that's that's a low temp who cares and it's just you know for scientists they're like oh my gosh i represent such extremes in other area but like for most people in messaging and so i i think we need to spend a lot more time on communicating this issue of climate change and i think we get a lot more benefit but i i'm not optimistic i think we've already baked in way past 1.5 degrees yeah. celsius but i completely support these government entities—they've got to have targets. They've got to have metrics, or you're just going to be completely lost. And so, yeah, I'm not optimistic on those numbers. I think three or four degrees is the more likely scenario. So,
0: well, that's that is being stuck up in the north in pockets. If we get there, man, that's that's not good.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, they, they they've done some interesting work on like this is what one degree represents and the movement, and two, this is what it means for agriculture. And you're just like four degrees. I mean, I think they had, they went all the way up to six or seven. They're just like, okay, it is pockets of people living there. Agriculture no longer exists. And you're just like, we are playing with fire here. It is pretty depressing. So man, when
0: you start talking about three to four, you're talking about desertification of basically the whole planet.
1: I don't know. I, I, I don't have the charts with me. I'm not, I don't know if three is like at that extremes, but it's just like, it's, it's, you, you can't control it. You can't adapt to it. And that's a message I like to share is like right now at the moment, we can adapt to some changing climate conditions, knock on wood. Yeah. But when you start getting to those temperatures, it's like you start, and that's what's so horrifying and trying to convince people we are in control now. That's, that's what's encouraging. But you, if the longer you wait, you take more things out of your control and who doesn't want to be in control. It's it, That's, that's a terrible place to be in.
0: I don't want to be in control of anyone but myself. I don't feel no. I don't feel like I have the uh, the right to do that. I'd like to people to control their own lives. All right, well, we'll leave the carbon discussion behind for now. Um, <laughs> what have you learned? What are the biggest takeaways from doing 150 different episodes, talking from people from all across different
1: backgrounds who are focused on this issue? I just learned because I got my start in the natural resource and kind of conservation sector and climate change. And they were the ones doing it first back in the aught. It was like, they were the ones doing adaptation planning first and that was kind of cool. But I have learned that adaptation is a much bigger universe than I realized. And what's been cool about the podcast is like, I'll interview national security experts who work with the Pentagon and I, urban planners and, you know, climate fiction writers. And it's just like, this space is huge and it's growing. And I, and I get to talk to those folks and I no longer, I used to always think, Oh, I'm in the conservation. That's my background, but I don't consider myself in conservation. i don't barely even consider myself in the environmental space. Adaptation is much bigger. And so huh. that's exciting that, that the podcast is taking me on this journey to do that. And um, it's also just been very helpful to hear from my listeners. I mean, you know, you, experience that hearing from listeners is the best because a lot of times you hit publish you're like who's listening to this anybody and then when you you have to hear that feedback like oh you are this is how you're getting value out of it that's been a fantastic journey that when you get those semi-frequently it's like doug i've been listening for a while love it i've changed careers because of it. and just like that awesome. is awesome very yeah it's a, that makes you're weak you're like oh you know, it's me in my pajamas with a microphone. <laughs> is anyone listening? And uh, I, right, <laughs> they are, they are. And influential people are listening, which is kind of cool. So, um, yeah, and I've learned a lot about audio. I never thought I'd learn, like, right. and I've learned about editing and all technical things because I'm a one person shop Occasionally, you know, I'll get an intern who will help me out with doing some things, but it's, it's most of the time it's just me. So, and is it what What year is the podcast? How many I've been doing how many yeah. years? I think I'm this year six now. I, I, I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, it's come a long way. Um, and yeah, no. Uh, the goal is to keep doing it. Of course, as we talked about earlier, the sort of financial model. It's always it's you've you got to hustle, you know. And I'm my goal is actually hopefully you know maybe there's a grant, maybe there's foundations like Doug. We like what you're doing here. Here's a grant to kind of keep you going, so you don't have to worry so much about other ways of finding. But I'm finding foundations are a bit dinosaur thinking. I don't think half of them don't even know what a podcast is. So <laughs> What? Well, a podcast? Well, I'll watch your podcast someday. Okay, great. Um, <laughs> but hey, we can watch your pod. You, you, you do video. You, you have a video version. That's good.
0: I'm a very emotive person, and I like to have a, of a personal exchange. I like to have the, vi- the video going, especially because um, I'm not doing them in person. So this is much it's, – it's essential for me no. to have the video.
1: Um, create a bit more chemistry too, with your guest, if you totally. have a little bit of interact, I just, I, I've got my notes and I'm in my pajamas. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I don't want to see you. You don't want to see me. So, yeah, but everyone has their own style. So that's good.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very emotive. I like to, I, we talk about the world ending and I like to make jokes in the middle. And I think it's really beneficial to have the, uh, the video. How have you, so you've been doing this for a while. How have you seen like the discussion around this stuff evolving over the years that you've been working on it?
1: Well, there's this whole kind of issue of resilience and adaptation you i'm sure you've heard of both and so a lot of people kind of lean toward resilience and resilience is that there's a million definitions but basically how of how you know is a community resilient to climate change like can it withstand impact of a flooding event or hurricane and then can it bounce back to sort of a previous condition whereas adaptation sort of says well maybe you don't bounce back maybe you move away maybe you trans. Locate the whole community, and so I I'm, I encourage the adaptation position. Resilience is just it's a tactic underneath the overall strategy of adaptation. Whereas some people elevate resilience, it's like we've got to climate proof everything. And I think the government's default position is resilience because they, they can't be telling people, well, you've got to leave Miami. You know, they're not going to do that anytime soon. So um, that that's been really interesting. And I, I use my podcast to sort of have that discussion, and now the sustainability folks are kind of coming in and saying, "Oh, we in adaptation are one and the same." And I'm, no, we're not. All right, <laughs> there's a lot of overlap, and need to work together. And uh, there's all this great. And there's sustainability people doing some great adaptation work, but sustainability has been actually around, as you know, it's been around for a while. It's probably been one of the first. Some of it, for better, for worse, I I, I kind of roll my eyes. Some of the early days of sustainability. Oh, you get your chief sustainability. Um, person and you give them no budget and they're there to sort of like annoy other coworkers. And so it's, like, it's come a long way since then, but it's just like, until it's really taken as seriously as any other like important part of a, a private firm, it they've, they've had to fight some really tough battles. And so um, adaptation is different. And I, and I argue that so.
0: All right. Well, appreciate it. So what's going on over at Simpatico TV?
1: Well, Simpatico TV is just—that's where I actually have to have a camera. I just did an interview yesterday with a geothermal company, and I—we—we—it's—it's it's a startup company, and I, what I—I'm one of the hosts, and so we interview people, and it's what's—it's kind of fun too. Is that I—I'm pretty specific to adaptation people or communication people on my podcast. I constant stream of media people contact me to have carbon related oh they just wrote a book on how we could you know do this solar i'm like do your homework this is not what i do um (laughs) and i I literally get between like two and ten of those a day and i delete most of those because they didn't do their homework i'm going to take the time to write them back um but simpatico i'll talk to anyone so i've talked to like oh you're doing tidal energy and you've got a startup and you're doing some cool things and i done probably like 250 interviews on simpatico and it's it's the model is changing a little bit from what we originally intended i'm hired help in the sense you're the talent and so uh, we'll just do creating tv content for people to kind of share their stories and so focusing only on private firms which is the podcast i'll talk to academics nonprofits. Whereas Sympatico simpatico is more about all right, you want some TV content, you have a professional interviewer like me. And so, yeah, I encourage people to simpaticos with the dot O.tv and a lot of interviews on there and yeah, it's, it's a lot of good learning. Um and so we'll see if there's like um I, I'll, I'll keep doing that, but it's just it's a much different creature and different conversations that I have there. But they're still climate and environmental related. And sure. what I've learned from simpatico of how many startups there are I just it's the space I've never been in I've been yeah. a nonprofit government guy and it's just like what you're doing this and you're trying to get money to do that and you've got this great technology like and I'm blanking on some of the technologies but um you know hydro and then uh, some of the electrical things that they're doing and grid work and it's very exciting that's what I've probably become more optimistic about our chances with um, carbon. It's just like, holy crap. Like you talked about, like if you do carbon and what uh, you're talking about using cannabis as an example of like how much innovation it's driven out there. Like change. uh, Right. But I'm just, there is so much. Right. But with, there's so much innovation happening around climate. Can you just imagine if there was more money swirling around, it would just accelerate even more. So I'm actually, cautiously optimistic it's just about every one of those conversations i have it's about like oh that's cool that seems to be working it's about scaling it up it's mm-hmm. about making it embedded regulatory and so that that's a different conversation than what they're doing so right on that's impatico
0: yeah that's cool. Well, Doug, I appreciate you for taking your angle and running with it and sticking with it. I think that's awesome. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I appreciate you for not deleting my email. Thanks
1: for coming on the podcast. <laughs> well, you invited me to come on a podcast. How could I deny it versus you just... yeah. You know, <laughs> I, 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 and some people are just like, send me weird stuff that's barely related. I demand.
0: So, I need to be on your show now. You, I'm the best opportunity that's ever
1: existed. <laughs> Oh, I get that. You should have me on. And I'm like, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> um.
0: Yeah. Cool, man. Um, any final pieces of advice for young folks who are passionate about building a better world or adapting to a new world?
1: Okay. Parking aside, our early discussion about the urgency, the doom and gloom around climate change is an exciting time. I like to use this anecdote when I worked for Florida state government I was volunteering all the time. Any climate change related stuff, they were doing a conference. We created whole educational infrastructure from scratch. I was driving all that. And one of my coworkers, and she wasn't a denier or anything. She's really great. But she she came up to me and she's just like, you know, why are you interested in doing this? You know, why do you want to do this? And I just kind of gave her this blank stare. I'm just like, this is the most exciting issue ever. Why wouldn't I want... And I was just so dumbfounded that she just... Was wondering why I just kept raising my hand and wanted to jump into this. And so I would say for younger people that you know, the idea of saving the world, rarely do you actually get that kind of opportunity, but you can be one part of because in human history, there's really hasn't been an th- actual threat to the planet that makes it habitable. We've now created that sort of narrative. It's it's really you can be part of that. And so adaptation, actually, my job is easier, even though it's kind of sobering the carbon side, there's a lot of like hand wringing and you're just frustrated because this government doesn't do that. But with adaptation, there's a lot more action that you can do on the ground and actually make happen. And so I get to tell a lot more happy stories. Oh, look, this community is now doing this adaptation planning to respond to this. And that is a much easier sell to get people excited. And I get contacted by young people all the time. How do I get into this adaptation space? And I'll sometimes we'll get on a call and we'll brainstorm about it. And so, If you're in the environmental space, you better understand what adaptation is. And it's gonna be tons of careers that are gonna start popping up if you have a basic understanding of it. So it's an exciting time. And uh, another message I'd like to just get away is, I was able to influence a lot of climate work in Florida and just other places that I, I mean, I actually drove changes and made things happen. Just one individual, it's still early days. You can be very influential not that many people really kind of understand adaptation. and it, I can't tell you I'm the definitive expert on it. Of course not. You, you can actually influence it, which is, I think, going to, you know, think of any other space. You're an engineer, civil engineering. It's like, well, I'm radically changing that. No, it's baked in. And you're kind of doing good work, but adaptation, you can still influence. It's an exciting time. Very exciting.
0: Well, um, well, thank you for doing that stuff. Like I said, I always believe the individual can make a huge impact. So so thank you for doing that. Thank you for continuing on your journey. Even with the uh, the harsh realities of the situation, you're still making the most of every day. And uh, I appreciate you taking some time to come on the show. It's been a pleasure to have you,
1: Doug. Well, Ethan, to thank you for what you're doing with your real estate business and all that, that's really cool. And so we need more people coming up with creative solutions to what we're doing, but it, it, it's, it's always a treat to come on and it, it's an honor to talk to your listeners. Thank you so much.
0: Definitely. Oh yeah. And where can they find, uh, find more of you?
1: Oh, I can't always forget the plug. Just my website's probably the best spot. I mean, if you're a podcast listener, obviously I'm Apple's a very popular one, Spotify, America adapts. And my website is America has all sorts of information. If you want to contact me, you want to learn more that it's and just give you descriptions of all those things. So yeah. And and I'm on Twitter and all those kinds of things. If you have listened to episode and you want to say, Hey, Doug hated this episode. Just want to let you know, just tweet at me and make
0: sure you tweet that guys. (laughs) All
1: right. And if you're doing energy work and you write me and say, you should come on as a guest, delete. Um, but no, if, if, uh, I want to encourage you. If you have questions about adaptation, I'm very accessible. I love just having side conversations. So,
0: all right. Well, I'm not getting five to 10 emails a day yet, so I won't be deleting anyone, anything, anyone sends. Me like <laughs> that. <That's, laughs> well, I should just, you, know you know what I should do? I
1: should, these would you be, topic, just them these to are me. doing a, I'm, I <laughs> seriously, these people are just looking for platform for them to talk. Doing really important. These are not people that are just doing slacker work. These are like academics, mm-hmm. but they're just not my space. And so I, I you know what? I, I'm not, if you're interested, maybe afford you two or three, and you can get a sense of the flavor. And then there's sure, the man. media people that you get on their list. And if you got on their list, they're going to start sending you regular things, and you, you cover broader base, which is interesting. That's your totally. that's your pathway. And I, but I'm very religious because my background's in adaptation. I, I. I'm excited yeah. about it. I just don't want to talk about this other topic. So,
0: well, my background is in entrepreneurship, which is like totally open-ended, you know what I mean?
1: Right. Well, you know, I'm going yeah. to I, I'll probably got a couple just as we were talking now and uh, I'm going to forward and maybe this and, <laughs> and, and you get a lot of free books. I get a ton of free books if I want them even though I don't have to have the guest on. They'll be I'll be like, "Okay, send me the book, but I'm not telling guaranteeing you and most of the times like it's not a good fit. You'll just you get a pile of books because that's they have a boxes that they send to the media people. So yeah, it's one other thing.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, Doug, I appreciate it. All right, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. Take care. Thanks again. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrealty.org today.